So we are going through our series in 2 Corinthians, and today we're going to resume. And we're going to start at chapter 4, verse 7, and read it all the way through chapter 4, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, uh, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, as we, uh, as we hear from you today, uh, we pray that your spirit would really uh, speak to us in powerful ways. And in particular, for any of us who feel uh, weak and defeated and perhaps lacking uh, in the kind of confidence that comes uh, not from our achievements, but from knowing you, I do pray, God, that you would remind us of your power and the very power that lies within us by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see everybody today. We are going through uh, the series on 2 Corinthians. And... uh, as I've said every week, but I just kind of say it as a way of summary to refocus and reorient us. Uh, the reason we're going through this series is because it talks a lot about weakness, and I think this is a, a good season to reflect and to think about weakness. And I think you can tell uh, when a section in the Bible has been very impactful to people based on how many times it might be quoted. And I think the section of Scripture that we just read today is one of the sections of Scripture that probably you hear get quoted oftentimes. I know for myself personally, uh, I've drawn a lot from this particular section, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited that we get to look at this section directly. Last week, we saw that Paul says something incredible about our spiritual reality under the new covenant, right, for those who turn to the Lord. And he says that the glory that was once veiled or covered under the old covenant, which we saw through Moses, is now unveiled under the new covenant. And because of that, God has shown light into our hearts and gave us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says last week. And this is the heart, I think, of Paul's apostolic ministry, that God lifts the veil to those who turn to to the Lord through his preaching of the gospel. And so now, after telling us that we now have access to this glory, to something that is so glorious, Now he turns his attention and tells us how is this glorious message mediated to not only the Corinthians, not only to 
uh, I guess people of all eras, uh, but even to us today. And it turns out this glorious gospel is not mediated through a glorious means or a glorious vessel, but it's mediated through weakness and brokenness. Now, there's so many great illustrations out there to show this dynamic. And, you know, as I'm reading, I like read different books and different commentaries and they all have different illustrations, and I was, it was, it's hard to choose from. But in one of the books that I've been reading in conjunction with the sermon series, uh, there's this one story where the author illustrates this dynamic, and he tells about somebody named Sir Oliver Franks. And this guy, Sir Oliver Franks, he served at a, as a British ambassador uh, to the United States in a very tense time in history. So it was like the early stages of the Cold War, and he would have to communicate with the President of the United States a lot, and then he would have to communicate with the British Prime Minister uh, almost on a daily basis. And so there were times, you know, uh, he would just call and, you know, talk to these leaders on the phone, but there were times where the message was so top secret and so urgent that he couldn't use the phone because the phones uh, they suspected were bugged and it would be too risky to let out some of this secret information and important information. And so he would send this message through mail. But do you know how he would do it? Something, a uh, message that was so important, he would actually just put it in an ordinary envelope and just mail it like regular mail, right? And you might think that's such an important message. He probably would have packed in like, I don't know, maybe a steel box or something and saying urgent, important, right, confidential. But obviously that would give it away. So what he did was he just put it in an ordinary envelope that anybody could tear open, that uh, would get dirty, that would get bent. And he sent it to these world leaders. And when Paul talks about his ministry in this section, he isn't so much uh, focused on the content of what he's preaching, but he's talking about the means through which that message is sent. And the content is important, of course, uh, because he calls it a treasure. But that treasure is not housed in something that is extraordinary or something special. And that's his point. Paul is saying, uh, you know, I am not that special, nor is anyone who comes and preaches the true gospel all that special. And that's why he does not think he has to come with these like letters of recommendation as if to prove himself or his achievements or display superior rhetorical gifts in his public speaking or give a list of his achievements or successes and the things that he's done as he comes to bring this gospel because that would detract from how God ultimately conveys his message of glory and power. And at the end of the day, this treasure does not go forth by something glorious. It doesn't go forth by this uh, steel, indestructible steel box, but it goes by way of like an ordinary envelope, an ordinary mail. Paul uses the image of a jar of clay because they didn't have the similar mail system back then, of course, right? Or earthen vessels to make his point. And, you know, uh, I think in preaching, finding illustrations is always like a challenge and you kind of have to draw from like a creative part of your mind. And usually the best illustrations probably just come to you. You don't think about it, but they just come to you as you're observing the ordinary things of life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter to this dysfunctional community that is beloved by him, uh, but that is questioning his apostolic ministry. And uh, he's trying to convey, you know, I want them to know that I'm not all that special and I don't really care about uh, what they think about my gifts and talents and my influence and my power and those kinds of things. Um, I want them to understand that uh, the fruit of what God is doing through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, actually has very little to do with my strengths at all. And so he's, he's writing this and he's, he's looking around and he sees 
on the floor, maybe some ordinary jars of clay. And he looks at these jars of clay and he notices, oh, some of them are broken and some of them are chipped. Some of them are even cracked. They're, they're made of pretty cheap material and they have no impressive aesthetic quality to them. They aren't made of gold. They aren't decorated with anything ornate. In fact, people hardly notice them at all because they're not very special, right? Perhaps people are walking by them uh, without ever giving them a thought, just like you, know, you or I might walk by a pile of paper bags and not really give that very much thought. Maybe some of these jars are so broken and he knows they're expendable. One day they will be replaced by a similar jar because uh, they're not all that important. And as he looks at he, these jars, maybe he thinks, that's my ministry, right? That's my ministry. I am like a jar of clay. Me and my missionary colleagues are like these jars of clay, weak, broken, cracked, and expendable. And yet within these jars, God has decided to house this wonderful, great treasure of the gospel within them. Now there's, a, there's this kind of tension that I think Paul has to navigate so he's not misunderstood, and therefore we have to navigate it as well. You know, on the one hand, we have to distinguish between the jar and its contents, right? Or the, uh, the minister of the gospel from the gospel itself. And maybe too often the Corinthians have equated the power of the gospel with the power of the preacher. And they've said, if the preacher is weak, then the message must be weak. But if the preacher is strong, then the message must be strong. And of course, plenty of people do that today, right? How often do you hear people attribute the power of the gospel to the giftedness of the minister or to the preacher? And we start to say, oh, wow, the reason there are so many life-changing things and conversions and all that kind of thing happening is because this preacher has so many incredible gifts. So take, for example, somebody like Billy Graham. Uh, you know, I've had Billy Graham on my mind because he's come up in some of the readings for this class I'm taking. But uh, do we say many people came to Christ because Billy Graham was such a gifted communicator and such a fiery preacher of the gospel, or do we say, well, there's nothing particularly special about Billy Graham, but God just simply used him to proclaim the gospel and demonstrated the power, his power, right, through his preaching. And that's, of course, what, what Paul says about the gospel in Romans 1.16. It is the power of God for salvation. And my sense is, I think in our minds, we probably know not to put too much, too much stock in these preachers, but I still think we do it anyway in our hearts. And, you know, this happens when very fruitful pastors uh, retire or end up leaving a church and uh, people in the church get really worried because that fruitful pastor is not going to be there anymore and they're going, oh, what's going to happen to the future? And while we should be thankful for uh, the gifts of a preacher or fruitful ministries, you know, one of my old uh, seminary pr professors, uh, this is what he used to say. He would say, you know, preaching the gospel is not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, because he's talking to seminary students who are probably looking up to like the Tim Kellers and like the John Pipers and things like that and saying, oh, I wish I could be like that. And he would just remind us to like keep us very grounded. He's like, look, preaching the gospel, it's not rocket science, right? It's not that hard and it's ultimately not about you. You try to do it faithfully, but God demonstrates his power through your faithful preaching. So power doesn't reside within our gifts, within our talents, but ultimately power comes from God himself. And yet, that's also not to say that there is no connection between the jar and its contents because this great treasure lies within the jar. But we have to be clear about what that connection is. Now, by the way, the Greek word for power is dunamis, and it's where we get this word 
dynamite in the English language. And whether you have dynamite in a paper bag or dynamite in a Prada bag, it doesn't really matter. There is still power in that bag. And so while we should say that we are weak earthen vessels, at the same time, we are not earthen vessels devoid of power. Because through the gospel, we have this treasure within us in order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God himself. Now, do you see that, that tension? Because on the one hand, we're weak and powerless. On the other hand, the power of God is within us through the gospel. And so how do we understand this, this tension? And I, uh, you know, I want you to hear how Paul describes this tension just within his own life. And it starts at verse, 18, at verse 8, and he says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death, of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And that's how he's navigating this tension. On the one hand, the hardship and the affliction and the suffering that he experiences is very uh, real. But on the other hand, there is something within him that is allowing him to be strong and to persevere through these things. Now, to be clear, Paul's not being rhetorical here or hyperbolic here. You know, he, he has been through a lot of hardship in his life, and we get a taste of what some of that hardship is when he talks about it in chapter 11. But uh, let me give you a taste of some of the things he experienced. He says this in chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robber, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's his life, and he's telling the Corinthians, this was my affliction. Now, we, we do live in a culture, I think, where uh, suffering can be a badge of, of merit, and you know, I remember, especially in, uh, amongst uh, Christian believers, uh, I remember in church history, uh, a church history class during seminary, you know, my professor would talk about uh, in the early church there was something called martyrdom literature where persecuted figures would kind of be elevated to a place of greater honor because uh, persecution and suffering was central to the very early identities of uh, Christians. And I only bring that up because, you know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And the fact that we're celebrating Valentine's Day is also a testament to the fact that uh, persecuted Christians are honored. I don't know if you knew this. I shared this last year too, but it's worth sharing again. St. Valentine, he was a persecuted Christian uh, under Claudius in Rome. And supposedly, uh, he would marry Christian couples, which was a serious crime in Rome. And even though it was a serious crime, he continued to do it anyway. The emperor got mad and demanded that St. Valentine would renounce his faith and he refused, and after he refused, he was executed by the emperor on February 14th, 269. Now, for Christians, we, we read this story and we kind of elevate people like that and we say, wow, this was a person who had great faith. But, you know, you have to understand in this Corinthian society, uh, for Paul, his suffering actually had the opposite effect. The Corinthians are thinking, you know, if Paul's ministry is all about the glory of, of the ministry of the Spirit, 
How does that match up with the realities of his life? Why is he suffering so much? Right? Why do so many people hate him and despise him? Why, why isn't he honored by uh, others and given a higher status in society? Why, why is he struggling to even eat? Why is he poor and hungry all the time if he has this wonderful treasure? And therefore, that's why they're doubting his apostolic ministry. And Paul's answer is this. He, he is just a jar of clay that holds this great treasure within him. So on the one hand, his life is full of hardship, and that hardship is real. And when you suffer, you can certainly fall into despair because that's what Paul says in chapter 1 when he talks about his affliction in Asia. Right? He says of himself and his uh, missionary colleagues, he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So there is this very e- real experience of going through despair. Affliction can lead to despair. When we go through hard things, we can fall into despair. When we go through pandemic, we can fall into despair. When we suffer, we can get deeply shaken by it. But Paul also says, and still he does not lose heart. He says that in verse 16, still he does not lose heart. He does not let discouragement get the best of him, and he doesn't let that despair ultimately crush him. And on the surface, that sounds like a contradiction to what he wrote about his affliction in chapter 1. And when we get to the next chapter, we'll see why it actually isn't a contradiction. But Paul is basically showing us that we live in the reality of both. Uh, We live in the overlap of these two ages. The old age is full of sin, it's brokenness, and then we have this new age that comes in by way of the death and resurrection of Jesus and is full of resurrection power. And we, we live in that tension between the two. So we have this outer body that is wasting away because we live in the old age. We have this uh, virus in the old age. We have, um, I'm thinking of burnt skin because uh, Abby just burned her hand. <laughs> so right, we have things like that happening. And yet, the encouragement is Paul says inwardly, right? We are being renewed day by day. Why? Because we live in the power of the new age, the age of the resurrection. Both are happening at the same time. And when Paul refers to our affliction as light and momentary, he is looking at it from the perspective of what is going to happen in the end, where the old age will fade away and all that will be left is this new age. When Jesus returns, the old age passes away along with it suffering, along with it death, along with it hardship, affliction. All these things that are signified by this old age will fade away and all that will be left is the glory of our resurrected bodies. You can tell Paul is thinking about the resurrection because he mentions it in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into, with you into his presence. So that doesn't mean suffering won't hurt or make us feel despair or discourage us or all of those kinds of things, but it also means that suffering doesn't ultimately destroy us because we have this power of God within us so that our suffering, our weakness, our afflictions don't have to crush us, and in view of eternity, we can say they are light and momentary. Uh, When I was younger, someone stole a comic book from me uh, that I really treasured. And uh, now as an adult, if someone stole that comic book from me, I probably still wouldn't like it, 
but I probably wouldn't make as big of a deal about it today. Why? Because I have some perspective. Suffering and affliction that we go through, it's, it's not saying that, right? It's not saying it's like uh, losing a comic book and it doesn't hurt because for my third grade self, it did hurt a lot. I was pretty upset about it. But then you get older and you get perspective and you go, oh, that's not as important as other things. And that's kind of the tension that we live in. The suffering is going to hurt. It's going to reflect how fragile we are. But at the same time, we can suffer with hope and not lose heart because there is this great power within us, not our power, but God's power that comes to us by way of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of this glorious gospel. But I don't think we stop there. I actually think Paul takes it a step further than that. Um, He's not saying uh, this gospel allows us to cope with our weakness or cope with our hardship. I think Paul is actually saying much more than that. Uh, We get this at the beginning of the passage when he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then again in verse 10, he always carries in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What does that mean? It's not that weakness is something that we just merely cope with or tolerate, but it is the very means through which God dispenses this great treasure. It's the very nature of our weakness that makes known this surpassing power ultimately belongs to God. Uh, Tim Keller, he used to actually teach a class on preaching uh, to seminary students, and I was just listening to him to talk about that experience. And one of the things he had to do as a, as a professor, he would evaluate the sermons of students. And I've been in those classes where uh, you know, you're a seminary student and you have to hear other seminary students preach. It's like painful because for the most part, everybody's bad. <laughs> and uh, he's like, he's like uh, you know, trying to figure out how do I make these young seminarians like better preachers? And he's like, well, they did the exegesis correctly. They got the, the point of the passage. Uh, their structure was organized and, and well done. And they had illustrations. But why, why are their sermons so bad? I can't, I can't figure it out. Right? And he's sharing this with his wife. And his wife says, oh, that's easy. Their sermons aren't very good because they haven't suffered yet. And he says, aha, right? That's it, right? They're so young. They haven't experienced the sufferings of life yet. And without experiencing the sufferings of life, you know, the power of God is just something very abstract. The grace of God is just something, you know, very real, but more of an abstraction because you're stuck in your books. But as you get older, as you come into, uh, as you interact with the hardships of life, uh, sickness, right, death, the fears that really shake you, and then you feel God's power, God's spirit preserving you and lifting you up, there's a new kind of power that comes with that that only comes by way of weakness. You know, The most powerful preachers are not the ones, and I shouldn't even say preachers, any any witness to the gospel, any believer who wants to share this gospel message, the most powerful people are not the ones who went to the best schools or read read the best books on how do you preach the gospel, right? 
The most powerful preachers, I think, are the ones who have experienced a lot of hardship and a lot of brokenness, but at the same time have experienced the power of Jesus lifting them up out of that darkness. Anybody that has a testimony to share, you know, it's one thing to give this intellectual apologetic argument for, you know, why you should be a follower of Jesus. But there's another kind of power when you speak out of your weakness, when you speak out of uh, your cancer diagnosis, your deep depression, your addiction, your deep anxiety, your failures in life, whatever it is, and uh, you share Jesus on that level where it's deeply personal, there's greater power in it, right? And that's how God works. Being the jar of clay is part of what illuminates the power and the treasure of this gospel. And the medium of weakness is, the, is part of the message of God's power. It's something that Paul had already said to the Corinthians way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's why we've got to embrace our weakness, friends. Now, speaking of suffering and hardship, uh, some of you know I'm, I'm like part of this uh, degree program, and I would go to class every year to different cities. And one year, we were in Chicago, and I got to visit this very, very historic church in Chicago uh, through the program I'm, I'm studying in. And we were supposed to meet the pastor of the church, the, the senior pastor of this church. His name is Charlie Dates. But on the day that our class gathered and then, you know, we went to the church and showed up, uh, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't able to meet us. And we were supposed to, I think, spend the day with him. The reason he wasn't able to meet us is because in Chicago, there's a big problem of gun violence. And on that particular morning, uh, a, gun, right, a, a gunfight broke out, I think, between uh, two gangs or two groups or whatever. And uh, a teenager in his congregation had just been walking not part of either party, just walking and got struck with a stray bullet and died that morning. So he came and he met us for maybe about like two minutes and he said, very somber, uh, very sad, very empty look on his face. He said, you know, I, I just wanted to see you for a few minutes to welcome you to my church. Um, uh, we just lost uh, one of our teenagers in our church by a straight bullet through gun violence. So I have to go to the hospital and I have to meet with this family. And then he left. That's hardship. And when you get through that hardship, which you can't get through on your own, but you can only get through by the grace of God and God lifting you up, that's where you experience the power of God. Now he is... I will tell you, a very gifted man. He's a very gifted preacher. I, I don't generally listen to many sermons online, but if I ever do, he's somebody, I would try to catch his sermons. Very skilled. But you know, more than his skill, he's actually a very, very powerful preacher that preaches from this deep place of conviction. And I imagine experiences like that, which shape his ministry, are probably a big part of the reason why. Power comes from feeling knocked down by moments like these where you feel helpless and weak to do anything to make things better. But then in these moments of helplessness, being lifted up by Jesus and seeing the Spirit of God minister with His power, 
to you and to those around you who are suffering. That's, that's where power comes from. Let me, uh, let me end with a story. And this story comes from Charlie Dates, uh, one of his sermons, I think on this very passage. And it's a great illustration. And it's appropriate to end this message with uh, his illustration. He, uh, and by the way, he tells the story much better than I will. So if you want to look it up on YouTube, you'll probably be more moved by it. But <laughs> he tells a story uh, about when he was a child. And uh, his grandmother would tell him, you know, come, come help me with, with my garden. And she would grow these green tomatoes. This is an inner city, like Chicago. So somehow, right, she would grow these green tomatoes and uh, grow onions and grow collard greens. And there were these uh, buckets. And one of the bucket looked new and pristine. And the other bucket looked really beat up and had cracks in it. And she would take both buckets and she would fill both of them with water to the top. And she would give the broken bucket to him. And she would take the pristine bucket and then she would take his hand and basically walk him to the other side of the garden. And of course, what would happen is all that water would just kind of spill out. And he got really fed up after doing that many times. And he's like, what am I doing, right? What is the point of filling this water bucket and walking across to the other side of the garden? All the water just leaks out. And then his grandmother told him and said, Hey, look at the side that you walked on and tell me what you see. And he looks at the side that he was walking along and he says, I see green tomatoes and I see collard greens and I see onions. And she goes, well, look at my side. Tell me what you see. He goes, I, I just see grass. And then she said, you know, I know that bucket is broken. I know that bucket is cracked, but I gave it to you anyway because I knew that broken bucket would leak out this precious water and it would fall to the ground in order to help that seed that is lying underground open up and grow into the very plants that you see here today. And he said, my grandmother taught me something about the power of God that day. God knows we are like these broken buckets. He knows that we are like jars of clay. And yet, he fills us up with this great treasure, this gospel message Holy Spirit, so that the power, the glory of Jesus eases out of our brokenness, giving light to a dark and broken world. Friends, brokenness is not a hindrance. Our weakness is not a hindrance. It is not something that we just tolerate in ourselves. Friends, it is a very means through which God demonstrates his glorious power to us and to the world. Let's pray. God, we certainly do exist and live in a city where weakness is not something that is very attractive. Uh, this is a city where people say only the strong survive. Uh, there's a certain kind of grittiness here that uh, encourages us to um, hide our weakness to be ashamed of our weakness, to be ashamed of our failures, and to lean into our achievements and to our successes and to grab hold of those things as being our very source of power in our lives. But God, your gospel message tells us something very different, that we are but weak and broken vessels, 
that the power that we have access to does not come from us and does not come from our achievements, but that very power comes from you. And in your great wisdom, you have decided to house this source of power, this great treasure, in broken people such as us, in jars of clay, expendable, cracked, and broken. And you are like um, Charlie Date's grandmother who takes us and moves us into the world to leak out the very glory of God into this world. Help us not to uh, forsake our weakness. Help us to embrace it as the very means through which your power is displayed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.